Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8, called Redemption Through His Blood. Fathers, we look at the majestic truth of redemption through Jesus Christ tonight. Just a couple of verses tonight, but they are so rich and so full of uh, significance to our lives. Not just theological significance, but real spiritual significance because we've been purchased by your blood. We were exiles, sojourners, captives, dead in trespasses and sins, and you made us alive. You rescued us. You purchased us with your blood, Jesus And you brought us out of the slave market of sin into the glorious inheritance of the sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful thing you've done for us. And we are so grateful. We're grateful that we're uh, co-heirs with Christ. And we're grateful for that redemption price that has been paid. And as we look at this majestic truth tonight, we pray you'll guide us by your Holy Spirit. We pray you'll encourage the, the the hearts of saints tonight, that they can know who they are in Jesus. That makes all the difference. And as we study your word, we always ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, guide us uh, on both ends, in the teaching end and on the receiving end, that we'd have ears to hear as well. And then that we would apply the truths or simply maybe tonight bask in the reality of who we are in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, what I want to do is go back to Ephesians 1, verse 3 to set the context. This is one long sentence in Greek. It starts this way. Paul is breaking out into a song of praise. Blessed be, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Some uh, translations say heavenly realms. I think this appears if I recollect correctly, about five times in Ephesians. I'm not sure it appears anywhere else. When Paul writes about these blessings that we possess in Christ, do you remember where he is? He's in house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. But Paul's talking about every spiritual blessing that we possess in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that was not dependent on his uh, geography or his situation in life right now. He already saw himself spiritually there, and you are already spiritually there as well. Those blessings are realized on a spiritual plane in Christ Jesus so that we can be going through, and this is tonight's study. Tonight's study is about exile and redemption. And even though we are, in one sense, we've been purchased from exile, in another sense, we are still sojourners. We are aliens and strangers. We are simply passing through to another world, a world that is yet to come. And so when we live in the reality of the redemption that we have in Jesus, we live with an eye to that spiritual reality and the fulfillment of that reality. And that's what helps us in the here and now have a proper attitude. That's why Paul can be in breaking into a song of blessing while sitting, writing, chained to a Roman guard under house arrest. That's why he can write the epistle of joy, Philippians, or the epistle Ephesians, that's all about the grace of God and the redemption and who we are. It's a church epistle. 
It's about the new community of believers called out of exile, called out of the world, and called into Jesus Christ. We are the redeemed of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's what Paul does here. And Paul is writing this in a situation where it's not the best of uh, life circumstances. But Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, not just some, every spiritual blessing if in, the he- in the heavenly realms or places. Key phrase, in Christ. Christ is the source, the sphere, the guarantee of every spiritual blessing and all spiritual riches. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now we believe, and this is uh, buttressed by 2 Timothy 1.9, that time began when God created the world. And so God chose us before time began. You can cross-reference Revelation 13.8. There's two different readings there from the New American Standard and the NIV. It says that our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And it says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So God wrote us in the book before the world was, before time was, and Jesus was slain before the world was or before time was, Revelation 13, verse 8. Now, this is an interesting thing for those of you who wrestle with the idea of predestination and election. Let me give you a a third view, separate from Calvinism and Arminianism. If this is foreign ground to you, don't worry about it. But Calvinism puts a big emphasis on God's election and predestination according to his sovereign will. Arminianism replied to that and put more of an emphasis on man's choice. And so uh, Norman Geisler, apparently in his group, has come up with this view. And I'll just let you chew on this. I thought it was interesting. It's actually something articulated at a Bible study recently by our youth pastor, Brian, who's attending um, Veritas Seminary. And Norman Geisler is one of the teachers there. And if you know anything about theology and doctrine, Norman Geisler's been a big name. So they have a view, and and this connects to the book written by Geisler called Chosen But Free, but I think he's, he's accentuating it more. And here's what they say. They basically say, the, the problem that we have with election and predestination is we're always thinking about time. So we're thinking, well, God looked down the corridor of time and knew who would believe, and that's how he chose them, or God just so- sovereignly chose some and passed over others, that's, that's more of a uh, moderate Calvinism. Or he just double predestinated. What does that mean? It means he predestined some to heaven and some to hell. And so then we say, well, what about the love of God? And what about all the verses about God doesn't want any to perish? Well, the group has come up with this, and this is a secondhand repetition of this, but I think you'll see where it's going. Because God is in eternity, God doesn't look at things through time. We do. God's election of us and our choice of believing in him to God all happen at the same time. Now, here's an interesting way to think about it. When you think about God's view of time, think about someone looking over a parade. God sees the the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega in Greek. He is the aleph tav in Hebrew. He sees everything simultaneously. We, as people who live in time, see a piece of the puzzle. As the parade goes by, that's how we see it. But God sees the big picture. So here's the argument. That for God, his election of us and our choice of him 
is not bound in time. To him, it's a simultaneous reality. Now, this is just something I wanted to put on your plate to think about. God is eternal. The realm of eternity is hard for us to grasp because everything for us is in time. But God created time. He's not bound by time. And if he made his choice in eternity to elect us, and from his perspective, our response to that is still in the realm of eternity for God, then there's no uh, problem with, you know, how did God base this choice? Because for him, everything is now. That's the idea of the view. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And it may, you know, uh, wrestle with it and search the scriptures out, but you may find, based upon Revelation 13, 8, and uh, this particular verse we just read, look at it again. Just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. Now that seems to be a time marker until we see that the foundation of the world, time began, and therefore uh, it really speaks of eternity in, in God's, uh, from God's perspective. Now, what did he do? Well, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. This was according, notice, to the kind intention of his will. It was in his benevolence that he did this. God is omnibenevolent, all kind and, and uh, benevolent towards us. To the praise of the glory of his grace, his election of us, his adoption of us into his family will be to the praise and the glory of his grace. We are trophies of his grace. We ended on that last time, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in Jesus, and it's free. In him, now this thought continues, in Christ, we have redemption. The vehicle by which we get it is through his blood. Remember, the Bible teaches that the life is in the blood. So another way to say it is through his sacrificial death. Through Christ's life, blood being shed on the cross, we have redemption through his blood. And this is what it means. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to read through the entire passage. We'll come back and break it down. We'll just read to verse 10 tonight which he, notice this language, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. And so uh, that is... Uh, a long sentence, but it is a celebration of blessing. And we went up last time up until verse 6. And verse 6, we ended with this freely bestowed in the beloved. And then Paul says, in him we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption. Now what is redemption? Well, redemption literally means to be purchased, to be bought back. There's an illustrative uh, idea of redemption found in the book of Hosea. It's found in chapter 3, where Gomer uh, runs away after Hosea has paid the dowry. And remember, in the ancient world, to buy the hand of a bride, you paid a, a bride price. And one historian said the price for the bride, the dowry in ancient times, was roughly equivalent to the price you would pay for a home today. So the average home, three, four $400,000. That's what it cost you to 
win the bride's hand. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. In him, now this thought continues, in Christ, we have redemption. The vehicle by which we get it is through his blood, Remember, the Bible teaches that the life is in the blood. So another way to say it is through his sacrificial death. Through Christ's life blood being shed on the cross, we have redemption through his blood. And this is what it means. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to read through the entire passage. We'll come back and break it down. We'll just read to verse 10 tonight which he, notice this language, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. And so uh, that is... uh, a long sentence, but it is a celebration of blessing. And we went up last time up until verse 6. And verse 6, we ended with this freely bestowed in the beloved. And then Paul says, in him we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption. Now what is redemption? Well, redemption literally means to be purchased, to be bought back. There's an illustrative uh, idea of redemption found in the book of Hosea. It's found in chapter 3, where Gomer uh, runs away after Hosea has paid the dowry. And remember, in the ancient world, to buy the hand of a bride, you paid a, a bride price. And one historian said the price for the bride, the dowry in ancient times, was roughly equivalent to the price you would pay for a home today. So the average home, three, $400,000. That's what it cost you to win the bride's hand. So those of you who have been recently married, you can be appreciative that we're not in ancient times. Anyway, and so 
you bought the right for her. And of course, Hosea is the savior figure in the book of Hosea. His name means to save. Gomer is the wandering bride. And it's a picture of of Israel and God. It's a picture in many ways of the church and God. And so what he does is he marries her, but then she begins to cheat on him again. And he has to go and buy her back for a slave price. He buys her, many scholars believe this is literally the story. He has to buy her because she's enslaved herself. I'm sorry to put it this way, but this is reality. To basically a pimp. And the husband figure in the story, the savior figure, has to go and purchase her out of the slave market of sin. And the reality is, this is what redemption means. It means to be purchased out of the slave market of sin. It means to be in captivity, to be in exile, and have the Savior come in and set you free. And the ransom price by which he does that is not silver and gold. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the ransom price for God to win us back. The pictures of the Old Testament, take it Passover, take it the book of Hosea, all have to do with this ultimate redemption price that will be paid once for all by the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. He comes to rescue you and the price that he pays is his blood. But don't just think in a tight terminology of a drop of blood or something like that. No, the price he has to pay is to give himself for you. He takes your place. He pays the sin debt that he did not owe. He takes the punishment as though he committed the crime. This is the story of the Bible. God becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue you. This is the story of the cross. That's why you see crosses on churches everywhere because it tells the story of the glory of the redemption price that was paid for you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. That's what the gospel is. It is about God becoming a man and giving himself up to death Death on a cross, the most horrible way that you could imagine dying. And that's why for Paul, doctrine not only leads to duty, doctrine leads to doxology. That's a big word. Doctrine leads to praise. Paul has opened Ephesians with a song of praise to say, do you know who you are? And remember when he's writing it, he's chained to a Roman guard. Do, Do I know who I am in Christ? No matter what's happening in my life, circumstantially right now, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I am looking, Titus 2.13 and 14, for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So here's the picture. We were in captivity under Satan. Think of Egypt. Think of the Pharaoh representing Satan. Think of the taskmasters with a whip representing his demonic host. We we're in bondage to sin, doing the mud dance. If you saw Cecil B. DeMille's movie, making the bricks for the Pharaoh, building his stuff, if you will. But now the Redeemer has come in this picture. It's Moses, but it's still the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentil. And what are we 
what happens? We are saved. We are set free. We are taken out of captivity into the freedom of worshiping God. So the opening verses are a celebration song. And if you're looking, I think I butchered this in last week's prayer. Here's the division of the book. Chapters one through three talk about the wealth of the believer. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Chapters four and five talk about the walk of the believer. We start with doctrine, then we go to duty. The wealth of the believer, chapters one through three. The walk of the believer, chapters four and five. So much practical stuff as we'll get to that. Chapter six, especially the latter half of chapter six, is the warfare of the believer. The wealth, the walk, the warfare. Another uh, delineation of the book has been put out in commentaries is the book could be divided this way. Chapters one through three are about sitting in Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Chapter four and five are about walking with Christ. And chapter six, especially starting in verse 10, is about standing, uh, fighting the good fight of faith, taking your stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul, gets, he's going to give us the doctrine first, I want you to know who you are in Christ, how you're saved, by grace, through faith, not of yourself, gift of God. And then he's going to talk about, this is how you respond to it. Now, here's how you walk in response to that. And then he's going to tell you, you got an enemy, and here's the armor that God gave you to deal with him so that you don't feel condemned when you're saved. Are you with me? That's the big picture of the book. But the opening verses are a celebration song of redemption. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. These are chapters that you should read over and over again. Revelation 4 and 5 give us an open door into heaven. For the sake of time, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 5. John writes, And I saw in the right hand, Revelation 5.1, of him who sat on the throne, a book. Actually, it should say a scroll because books did not exist at this time written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Revelation 5, verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or the scroll or to look into it. Now the scroll, many believe is the title deed of the earth, but I think the consensus of scholarship agrees that the scroll represents redemption. The question that emerges from the text is, who can redeem us? That's the question. And no one in heaven, verse 3, there's a universal search that commences on earth, under the earth, was able to open the book or the scroll or to look into it. And John sees the implications of this lack of an individual. He says, I began to weep, Revelation 5.4, greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven is the number of completion or perfection, uh, perfect strength, horn, Seven eyes, all seeing, which are the seven spirits of God. Many believe that that's a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it, the scroll, out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders 
fell down before the lamb. Worship ensues because of his ability to take the scroll. Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, incense which are the prayers of the saints. And one of the prayers the saints have been praying is thy kingdom come, if you recall Jesus' uh, prayer. And they sang a new song saying, this is a song of celebration and praise. Think of Ephesians 1. Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did what? Purchase or redeem for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue. You've been listening to Redemption Through His Blood, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Walk in Truth is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'd love to connect with you. It's great to meet our listeners, and hey, not everyone can visit the church here in Corona, California, although we recommend that you do. But either way, please connect with Walk in Truth on social media. And thanks. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a partner of at least $5 a month? You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow on this same station for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 called Redemption Through His Blood. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.